because I'm like, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be in a church. Like, I'm going to have a congregation. Um, and then, like, have this big, fat crisis of faith my fall semester where I recognize, oh, my God, have we been making it up the whole time? You're listening to Let's Be Omnist, the show where we are celebrating spiritual diversity, one truth, and one story at a time. My name is Michael Anthony. I'm your host, the spiritual life coach and intuitive reader from thedivinerlife.com. Thanks for tuning in to season two, episode number six. Today, I am chatting with my good Judy, my soul sister, the Kevin Garcia. Kevin is here to chat about what they like to call queer stuff and Jesus. You may have heard my interview with Kevin on their podcast, A Tiny Revolution, episode 96, where we discussed my spiritual upbringing and my struggle of sexuality and spirituality and what that whole story looked like. So today, the tables are turning, and I am talking to Kevin about their spirituality. A little about Kevin. Uh, Kevin Garcia is a digital pastor, mystic creative, intuitive soul coach, and a public theologian based in Atlanta, Georgia. They graduated from Christopher Newport University in 2013 with a BM in music education. And they have been everything from a barista to a corporate office worker to a nonprofit professional since then. After coming out in the fall of 2015 as a queer Christian, Kevin has reached thousands of individuals across the globe through their writing, their podcast, A Tiny Revolution, and through their YouTube channel. Kevin believes that by telling our stories, we set others free to tell their own. Kevin is presently a candidate for a Master's of Arts in Practical Theology, emphasis in worship, preaching, and the arts, from Columbia Theological Seminary in Atlanta, Georgia, and they are also the creator of Queerly Beloved Apparel and Big Queer Adventure Co. In addition to LGBTQ advocacy, Kevin's passions include good music, tacos, and really horrible dad jokes, which honestly is the highlight of today's episode. So in this episode, speaking of, we will talk about everything from preaching about Jesus to doing witchcraft under the full moon. So buckle up because today's episode is a fun one. Now grab yourself a cup of tea, cup of coffee, a cup of whatever you like, because in the spirit of truth and honesty, here's my conversation with Kevin Garcia. So welcome, Kevin, to Let's Be Omnist. I am so excited to have you here to be chatting. So thrilled to be here. Sorry that I stood you up last time. I (laughs) listen. I'll be real about myself. I'm. uh, I sometimes forget, and that's a jerk move. And I'm just really glad that you let me come back on. Um, So thank you for the second invite. I am um, honestly. I think that everything ended up working out. I really think that you were meant to be on season two. You have a lot of things that are important to talk about right now. So either way, I would have invited you back. So episode one, episode two, whatever. (laughs) Y'all, this is Grace in action right here. Uh, So um, I've already told everybody your full bio, what you do, kind of what your thing is, but I would like to give you the opportunity to kind of share a little bit about yourself from your perspective. So tell everybody who you are, what you do. Who I am, what I do, uh, I am Kevin Garcia. I am a public theologian. I am a writer and soon-to-be author, God willing, and everything happens the way it should. Um, I am a spiritual director and intuitive life coach. 
a tarot card reader. I am a living room dancer, you know, turn on the <laughs> tunes by oneself. Um, you know, aspiring home cook. And um, uh, currently, my highest Pokemon is level 72. So I'm feeling really good about that. Dang. That's <laughs> the important stuff right there. Literally. Honestly, the reason they brought you on the show is to talk about your Pokemon scores, um, your home cooking, tacos, and dad jokes. So Absolutely. Like, Yo, the dad jokes is a real thing. <laughs> I, love, I love a bad joke. Um, just to get a little bit more insight on who you are, we're actually going to play a super quick game of Two Truths and a Lie. Wow. If you don't you... record that and make that the, the beginning of every single one from here on out, it's over. I was just about to say that. I'm actually, you guys heard it here. Kevin gave me permission. It's happening. Perfect. (laughs) I just really want to make an impact in the world. You know what I'm saying? It's perfect. I appreciate your contribution. (laughs) So thank you for coming prepared with your Mm -hmm. two truths and a lie. Yes, yes. Uh, Whenever you're ready, dive right in and I am going to call you out. Sure. Okay. So um, I really like sushi. I have been to 49 states in all of Canada in the back of an RV, and I used to dye my hair pink and blue and, like, all the colors of the rainbow um, for a while until my hair got too bleached out. Dang. That's real. That's the real struggle right there. As much as I hate to say it, I'm going to say that I think your lie is that you love sushi. That's the lie. That's the lie. I don't like yes. sushi. Oh, uh, breaks my heart. I actually makes, just recently went vegetarian, and it is the one thing that I'm devastated about. I mean, it breaks my heart because I want to like it because it's like the, you know, all your friends like sushi, right? All the cool mm-hmm. kids like sushi. That one really interesting person you want to get to know more, they love sushi, and they know a really expensive one that they want to take you to because they got that 401k money. <laughs> um, but you say, then you have to disappoint them and say, oh, wow, I wish I liked sushi, but I just don't. And then um, you go and you're like, I'll just get a miso. Thanks. Yeah, I'll just get, just like, do you have any, like, that, you know, just, can you just bring me an avocado? <laughs> bring me an just avocado. No rice. Me. I'll get this roll. No rice, no seaweed, just yeah. the avocado. So, like, I wanted, like, a dragon roll, but just, like, just the avocado. Like, what do you, can you just, like, just, like, roll it in a circle? Just some sesame seeds on the side. Ooh, please. that's it. That's it. <laughs> oh, man. So, but the other know- two are real. The other two are real. When you say that you've traveled to 49 states and Canada in, the, in an RV, this was like one trip. No, 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 no. A series of trips over the course of my entire childhood. So my family, we, we just traveled. I don't know like where it started or how it started, but like my grandfather owned an RV and apparently he traveled a whole lot in that. And so my, naturally my family got an RV and me and my four brothers, my mom and my dad, like every single summer, from the time I was like knee high to a grasshopper to when I was a freshman in high school, took a trip just all over the U S like sometimes we would follow like historic routes. Sometimes we would just like go see national parks. Um, and it was a pretty incredible thing. What was weird was like, I grew up thinking that everybody did that. Like everyone, <laughs> just, but then I realized how many of my friends had never been West of the Mississippi. And I'm like, Oh my God. I'm, and I was at that point. I was like, "Oh, like I'm quite um, privileged in that that I've gotten to see so many things so young." Um, yeah. And then I didn't travel internationally till um, college. Interesting. So yeah, the first yeah, time I weird ever thing went west of the Mississippi was um, 2017. I left. I went to um, Texas for the first time. Got Oof. engaged, came back, and never went back. So like, <laughs> good for you. Yeah, I 
I, traveling is certainly not something that everybody does, but um, I do want to ask you, since you mentioned like that's what you did during childhood, right? can we just totally start from the beginning when it comes to your spiritual mm-hmm. path and say like, where did that start? How sure. did it happen? Bring me back to young Kevin. Young Kevin. Young Kevin was always too big for his britches, first of all. Mm. Also, and not to say that Kevin is not currently young. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's, I'm an old fart. I just he's turned got that 30. Good, that good skincare routine. Check it on Insta. You know, ser- it. <laughs> seriously, try it. Like, if you guys are interested in, like, dope-ass skincare, use my, use my link. I'm telling you. This should change my life. Um, like the bags under my eyes, they're like Dolce and Gabbana bags now, and not just like, like <laughs> not when Dixie they, and shit. They went designer. Yeah, they went designer. Anyways, <clears throat> so young Kevin. Young Kevin. Um, I think like my early I'm trying to think of like earliest memories are always just in church, being in the Christmas cantata. My mother was the worship leader, my uncle was the pastor, and it was like, you know, Southern evangelicalism, you know, Harry Potter is the devil, so make sure you don't <laughs> let your children do that. Mm. Um, it was very, very strange. It's like, I felt like I was like one part intellectual, but just so like, I had to believe in all this, like, uh, a fantasy story that was the Bible, you know, like there's all these fantastic stories of Jonah and the whale and Daniel and the lion's den and Radshak, Meshach and Abednego, which was their slave names. I might add. Yes. We'll get We can get into that in, in a little while. Um, if we want to, um, so, but I didn't, I didn't realize that like there was different ways of thinking about it at all. Um, but what I do remember is nine years old, I'm at Jesus camp and they said, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and savior? So at nine years old, I walked up to my camp counselor, Jessica, and I was crying and I wasn't really sure why, but like there's, you know, the emotional music playing, but like, I felt something in that moment when I, when I said that I believe that Jesus is the Christ. And I had this very, um, time I remember feeling the Holy Spirit, like what I think now was the Holy Spirit, the Holy mm. Ghost, didn't you? <laughs> or, um, you know, the divine or whatever you're, you want to call it now. But at that moment, it was just like, wow, like this is something. And so I started praying and I started listening and it was just like, I could, I felt like I could hear t- God talking back to me all the time. And so I would just ask God about stuff and like, I would feel God speaking back to me. It was like very, very casual. I was like, oh yeah, this is so great. I'm like, well, Jesus and Jesus is my best friend. And I didn't realize that not everybody else like heard like these little whispers, these little promptings. Cause it wasn't until like 12 or 13 when I like, I would say things like that around my family. And I was like, yeah, yeah I just feel like God's saying this. And they're just like, uh, that's weird. Like, what do you mean? Like you can only hear God through the Bible. And I'm like, and then they went. And so it became very clear that I was a little of a, an odd duck in a way. And I was always fascinated with like spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues and prophetic shit. Cause I felt like I had that. Like I just knew from a very young age, I've always just known shit. Is that um, the kind of church that you grew up in? Fairly charismatic gifts? Of the no, spirit? not at all. That's the thing. It's mm-hmm. like, I was feeling this stuff way before, like I was ever in a charismatic space. And so like when I like fast forward to um, fast forward to college, I accidentally fall into Pentecostalism because one of my fraternity brothers invited me to church and they were all about gifts of the spirit. So I kind of leaned into that for a little bit, but it's like, you know, I think there's some truth in there. And I also think that like, it's a gift squat. It's a gift that's squandered in my opinion in there, but that's mm-hmm. another story for another time. Um, <laughs> But I was also at the same time super duper gay and super duper closeted. So I was very pious. I was dedicated, you know, 12 years ex gay therapy, 
trying to really be a good Christian man. Did you say 12 years? 12 years. Yeah. When I was in high school, me and my dad got into this like weird fight. He'd outed me and then he outed me to my mom. And then, you know, next week I was in ex-gay therapy. So like, that's like the first place, like I learned, they said, you didn't choose this, but you don't have to choose your feet. Like you can, the, the, the rhetoric was you are okay to feel the feelings as long as you never act on them. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I can do that. Lols. Yeah, I saw Book of Mormon. There's a whole song about it. Turn yeah, it off. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like, you know, don't ever, don't ever fall in love. Don't ever feel things, especially for the really cute boys. Wow. You know, I had no idea that you were in ex-gay therapy for so many years. Mm-hmm. It, it was, it's wild because like I look back on, I remember my first night in ex-gay therapy like very, very clearly because the pastor who was teaching that night said, uh, it is worth everything to commune with God. And I never heard, I like, that was like, oh my God, that's true. And everything else I totally forgot. <laughs> Thankfully. I don't even remember <laughs> what else the fuck he said, but I remember that statement and just stuck with me. Like it's worth everything to commune with God. And it just became clear to me, like in like towards like the end of that, I'm like, God is not in here. <laughs> or if mm. God is in here, we're not listening to her. Yeah. Um, I've been speaking to God my whole life. And I have not heard her voice in a hot minute, so I got to go. That is exactly what it was. And so I I became a missionary (laughs) because naturally, and I was, I was hoping, I was hoping, I was looking for healing from my homosexuality TM. So during the therapy, you became a missionary? Kind of post. I felt like I kind of graduated from it. It was like one of those. But the thing about, oh, like, she ex- got a certificate. Yeah, more or less. But the thing about ex-gay therapy is it's not necessarily like um, an actual place you go and do things with other people. It's like a whole mindset that you learn. It is a thought process. It is a way of managing your emotions and your feelings. It's a way of self-policing yourself. It's like um, Alcoholics Anonymous. 100%. Except for like, rather than like trying to stop something that is like a destructive pattern in your life. Uh, they're trying to stop something that could actually lead you to happiness. Of course. Fulfillment. I should not um, have compared the two, but structure wise is what I meant. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was very similar. There's so like, there's like so many of like these things where like, it's like the Baptist version of Alcoholics Anonymous and they just lump, you got a porn addiction, throw it in there. You cheated on your wife, throw it in there. You have an anger problem. You're depressed, throw it in there all in the same little bucket. Mm. It's very strange. Even after all of that, you became a missionary. You right. then, then how did you end up Oof, like where you um, are? Yeah. So came home from the mission field. I dated a woman for a little bit while working for said missions organization. And then in the middle of that, I was like, I can't do this anymore. And it just became like very obvious that this whole gay thing was not going away Fast forward, um, I come out, I lose my position at this organization. I have to move to Atlanta. I have no job and no money. Best decision or best thing to ever happen to me if I'm really being hindsight. Hindsight is 2020. At the time, it was awful and traumatic and horrifying. But now I'm just like, wow, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. And so shortly after I get kicked out, I'm like literally just down. Like I've got nothing. I don't know what to do. And I get this DM from one of my Instagram friends named Jenny Lee. Jenny Lee says to me, and Jenny Lee is a spiritual energy healer. Um, <gasps> Wait, are you talking about Jenny Lee Dowling? Yes. Shut up. Yeah. She's a good Judy of mine. But like, it was like, 
she just like slid into my DMs and was like, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to do a session with you. And I'm like, girl, I don't have money to pay you right now. She's like, I don't care about that. Like, I just really think you should do it with me. And I'm like, I don't know. It's not really my thing. Because like, I hear spirit. Like, and again, I, at this point, I'm like, okay with being gay, sort of. But like everything else, I was still a fundamentalist in many ways. So like I hear spiritual energy healer and I'm like, that sounds like a crock of shit. <laughs> now, granted, I don't say that out loud because like, you know, that's rude. Um, but I you get it all uh, the time. I know. Oh, same, honestly. So I say, fine, I'll do this thing. Because what she said was one of two things is going to happen. Either nothing will happen and you'll remain unchanged or maybe you'll get something wonderful. Maybe some, maybe you'll get a gift. And I'm like, man, you know, that sounds like a pretty good deal. Let's try her out. Right. No risk. No risk. No problem. So I go in, uh, we're on the Skype line. She's using like a pendulum and some charts and just her intuition. And I'm on the other side of the line. And within like 15 minutes, I'm sobbing because she's honed in on a bunch of issues that I had around my dad, um, around money, around losing my identity, about losing my community, about the anger I was actually feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just sobbing because like, I had all of this, like I was numb and I didn't even realize it. And just like her being able to use her gifts to just pull that out of me was like, it, it was magical. And I was like, Oh my God, what, what is this? And so at that point I was like, okay, this isn't bullshit because that was the Holy spirit. I know that feeling. I know that feeling. I know that presence. She speaks. I know whenever she wants. It's wild. So I get myself uh, a tarot card deck because I knew that she read tarot. And I'm just like, where do I start? She's like, get yourself a tarot deck and get yourself this thing called the tarot Bible. That's what I started with. And I just started learning the cards and I started reading for myself and reading for my friends. And what I noticed was it was just like prayer for me. Like as I was doing it, I was like, I find myself like asking Holy Spirit, like, you know, what do I need to be paying attention to? And then I pull these a spread and it's like, Oh, like, this is exactly what I need to hear. This is like redirecting me back towards myself to say like, Hey, are you paying attention to your body, Mm -hmm. to your mind, to your thoughts, uh, to your desires, um, to your, what your ego is trying to trick you into thinking it's, it just was a really powerful tool. And I didn't, I didn't know it was possible because I was taught there's only one way to be a spiritual person in the world. So from there, I um, started reading for other people and realized, oh, like, I'm, I'm pretty okay at, like, I'm not only, like, okay at this, but, like, I'm, I'm pretty good. Because, like, when, as I was working with people, I would just, like, pull things out of nowhere. Because also, like, the way that I started reading was less, like, well, this means this, and, like, you know, yours is your future. Mm-hmm. I was, I, the way I understand tarot now is, like, Let's investigate a question we have right now. What is a need that we have right now? What is the hurt that we're dealing with right now? Or what are we not paying attention to that we need to? And so whenever I start working with people, it's like, this is what I'm seeing. Tell me what's coming up for you from what I just said. And they'll say, this is the thing that resonated the most. I'm like, okay, deeper question. Let's pull some more cards. Then we use it as a time of spiritual direction and also encouragement to remember who we are. And so... Yeah, I got into that, and then I started getting into some casual magic here and there. I was like, oh, I'm just going to do, like, a little candle ceremony. Just light a little candle. It's fine. It's fine. It's not, it's not witchcraft yet. They do it um, at churches all the time. Listen, I don't know anyone that burns more candles than the Catholic Church. Oh, so. my God. You know exactly. Come Pull on. out. 
<laughs> He's like, the Pope is a witch. The Pope is a witch. Exactly. Don't get me started on the Pope. Oh my gosh, I had a whole conversation about the Pope and Good Friday and St. Oh Patrick's Day today. It was weird. We'll get into that after the call. After, yes. Um, so yeah, um, and then one night on a full moon in Scorpio, I realized I was a witch because I was sitting out on my seminary campus where I go to school and getting a degree in <laughs> Christian theology with all of my, you know, crystals and accoutrement. And I'm doing like just this ritual to just ask for like strength and guidance um, for specifically what I was supposed to do with my life. And then it clicked with me like in an instant. It's like, holy shit, I'm a witch because I'm doing witchcraft. And who does witchcraft? Witches do witchcraft. I'm a witch. <laughs> what? And then I was like, oh, I was always this way. Like even from really, really young, because really, all this is, is just a way of focusing my intention to focusing my energy the same way I would with any other practice. It's just a different mm-hmm. way of doing it. So that's like the short version of my life. And so I'd say I'm somebody who is still a Jesus follower. I'm still a part of a church here in Atlanta. And I also practice magic and witchcraft. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things like, well, does it work? I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. Those works are, for me. It's all that matters. It, yeah. That's the thing is like, so do you believe in witchcraft? I'm like, I don't have to believe in it. It just works. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's, like if there's no need to believe in anything. It's just like, it's there. It's the, the data exists. So a really common theme for me this week has been, there are as many ways to practice witchcraft as there are witches. So mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. there's no one way there's no, like someone can tell you they do or do not believe in your magic. Like your magic yeah. is your magic and that's it yeah i think it sometimes is like lovely to do it in community with people and i think it can be very it is very powerful um and it's like you know if it i think some people are like i'm getting much more comfortable saying it out loud uh because i think there's there's again stigma around it mm-hmm. um and i and i hate that because this is such a liberating thing like why it's like like growing up, they were like, you know, like if you had the cure for cancer, would you hide it or would you tell somebody about it? And they were doing it, I guess, like a metaphor for like, if you don't tell people about Jesus, you're a horrible person. Mm. I think about, so like, you know, if the gospel is liberation for everyone right now in real time, and then this is part of that. This has been so liberating for me. I find myself closer to God, not further from God. Um, yeah. I find myself more empathetic and kinder, not less kind. Like, I'm like, like, tell me, like, tell me why that's bad. Yeah. I think when people shout things like burn the witch, they're actually saying burn the liberated. It's yeah. Like, and, I'm, <laughs> and I'm just like, you know what? Like, I'm already a flamer. Please don't put any more on me. Thank you. Let's go light it up. Um, <laughs> so just to clarify some timeline really quick, you're... Sure. Um, discussion with Jenny Lee, you're reading with her. Mm-hmm. Were you already on your theology path as far as like you were in school, you're at seminary? Yeah. Um, so that was fall of fall of 2015. Um, and then uh, I didn't start school until two years ago. So the fall of 2018 into 2019 now, now 2020, I'm graduating. So that was um, that reading was about five years ago with Jenny Lee. I'm sorry, you were, you were not in seminary yet because you just started. not in seminary until last fall. So you had a reading, you got a tarot deck, you learned Mm -hmm. the tarot. Yeah, I learned the tarot. Then you go to seminary. And then I went to seminary. And then like, it was one of those things where (laughs) I get to seminary and like, I've become more of a witch. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like I, I was like I came to school. I was getting an MDiv because I'm like I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be in a church. Like I'm going to have a congregation. Um, and then like had this big fat crisis of faith my fall semester, where I recognize, oh my god, have we been making it up the whole time? And by mm-hmm. making it up, what I mean is like I kind of like recognized like within like the historical anthropological history of the of the people of Israel how it's very very unclear what their actual role was in many places in the middle east they were both conqueror and conquered they were both empire and exile and so it's this very interesting thing for me it's just like okay like this this these people weren't perfect everyone thinks that they were the chosen people of god lol <laughs> and it really just kind of broke my heart it's like you know it's like this whole thing like yes there's a a beautiful religion that came out of it uh but we made it up and at the on the one hand like that just like shook me to my core that this wasn't some like divinely breathed thing and then i recognize i'm like oh well we could only ever make up what we think about god it's all a metaphor and so like it it's it slowly started to slow down for me it's just like you know like it's almost just like well kevin what did you expect like (laughs) <laughs> i was about like, to god, shout like, preach at you and then i was like oh of course no like that, that that's where like god like, like god was just like kevin like why did you think that i was ever inside of one religious box why did you ever like it's like it's like how could you like i am that which is endless how could you ever conceive of me anyways i said Oof. but it was like one of those it, it clicked in my head i was like oh like i don't have this doesn't have to be this is, it's almost just like uh, I met Jesus for the first time and it set me free from Christianity. Dang, say that again. Holy, yeah. wow. Yeah, it's, it's seriously, I always tell people, I'm like, I wish you could meet the real Jesus so you could realize that he's not the point. Because you are. Like, we, like, the, the point, if the point is Christ, then, and, the, and I am crucified with Christ, now, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, then that's what it's about. It, it, it's, it's, it's about you. And it's about me and it's about all of us like becoming aware that we're, that there is no separation. Like that's the whole thing. It boils down to that. And if we can get that right, everything else gets fixed. And but of course, cut. thank you. Great. Okay. <laughs> See you next week. Bye everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, dang. You yeah. just, I, I'm honestly sitting here blown away. Like I haven't been to church in a minute and Kevin <laughs> just took me to church. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. It's Sunday. I'm laid out in the aisle. You go through all of this, you realize this is what it's about, and then you decide that you're going to write your book. When does that happen? Talk about your book. Tell me all about it. Yeah. Um, my book has been, like, swirling around in my head in different forms for about three years now, and every single time I would, like, pitch the book or I would send it to um, a publisher, an agent, the thing I kept getting back the entire time is, like, uh, it doesn't feel punchy enough. It doesn't feel grabby enough. And also just like they were telling me, oh, the, the the market is saturated now with queer Christian books. And I'm like, the market is saturated. There's like two. We had two come out this year. What do you mean the market is saturated? Please define saturated. You mean like someone finally spoke up and you're like, tired of I'm, hearing our voice? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> like, I'm very confused. I'm just like, Jackie Hill Perry's book came out this year. Like, I like name them. Like, there are five ex-gay books out there. Like, on principle, we need to publish these books. In proportion, like, there are not enough. That is exactly it. That's what blows my mind. I'm just like, you should be snatching up 
every queer Christian testimony anthology you can get your hands on. Because not only would you make money off of it, because, you know, capitalism drives the bottom line of all of these things. Um, but there's some damn good stories out here. So the book, Bad Theology Kills, uh, originally was called um, Bridges Over Battle Lines. And I was thinking like, oh my God, I'm going to be like a bridge builder. And I'm going to like really you know, really, like, build a connection between, like, white evangelicals and, like, justice communities because of, like, my access. But, like, the more queer I've developed into, the less access I have to those places and those spaces. And also, I'm recognizing that, like, they have nothing for me anymore. Mm. It's like, I I have nothing to lose. And therefore, like, I, like, there's, a freedom in that. Like I can literally do whatever I want because I've already lost everything before I can lose everything again and come back. I've done that. But the work I do now is, uh, is focused on creating spaces for queer people of faith and progressive folk um, who have been traumatized to start healing from their wounds. Because mm-hmm. I think that we have been, we've been traumatized to the point where like, we don't recognize that we're just like licking our wounds incessantly and we're not actually doing the work of healing and forgiving. And I'm not saying forgiveness without um, accountability. I'm saying forgiveness for the sake of setting ourselves free. So that's a big focus on, of the book is there's a theology out there that has been killing us for so long not only with like anti-queer theology, but anti the theology that leads to black bodies ending up in the streets at the hands of police who then don't get held accountable. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about Kavanaugh became a Supreme Court justice. Oh. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, 80, what is it? 83% of white evangelical voters voting for the antithesis of the Christ. I'm talking about states caring more about one cell in the human body than the woman who was raped. I'm talking about Leah Alcorn stepping in front of a bus. Like that's bad theology. And so many of us, even after we come out, even after we leave these spaces, we still have ties to them in one way or another, whether it is like adjacency, like you're just close to it because your family's still a part of it. Or there, I feel like there's, we have spiritual ties to those places because we have spiritual trauma. And if we continue to have spiritual trauma without healing it or like working towards releasing it, um, we will be continually tied to the system we're trying to dismantle. And until we free ourselves completely from that system, we will never be able to dismantle it. We'll never be able to pull people out of the burning building, so to speak, because we're still on fire. And so um, the book is focused a lot on kind of giving people a new hermeneutic and what I mean by that, a new way of viewing Christian scripture so that they can kind of like take some authority back. I talk about this idea of the mythical norm which is an idea that Dr. Cheryl Anderson came up with where it taught, where we've been taught by white supremacy and colonialism that normal looks like uh, white, cisgender, affluent, male, and uh, able-bodied. So it's like anything that falls outside of this mythical norm is thus like not as valid as that. And so for someone like myself who is mixed, queer, you know, non-binary, couple chronic, you know, body issues with my knees and whatnot, you know, I'm automatically less valid than that. But like, the thing about it is, is we have to recognize that as the illusion. Because I keep thinking, I'm like, what, what are the stories that we've been telling ourselves this whole time? Who did we learn them from? We didn't learn them from God. We learned them from fear. We learned them from a society that has been far separated from God for such a long time. Why should we expect them to have our answers? 
Yes, yes, yes. And so the book is really about both um, a new way of doing like Christian hermeneutics, and then on the other side is it on the other side of it saying like, what if we just blew this whole thing up? You know, like what if like we stopped worrying about having to proof text everything in order to it? It's like one of those things where like I finally let go of the Christian label, and now I'm okay with like being a Christian. It's like I don't really care. It's like one thing I, I write in the introduction is like, I really don't care what you think about me. It's like, just like, tell me, who do you say that I am? Which is what Jesus did, right? Jesus is like, you know, with his disciples and is like, you know, who do you say that I am? And say, some people say that you're Moses or some people say that you're a reincarnation of such a person. And someone says, uh, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, blessed are you for you, for like the spirit told you this and not, any, and not anybody else. And I apply that same thing to myself. Like, who do you say that I am? Look at my life and tell me what you see. Because if you see kindness, gentleness, self-control, and you think that's the Christ, then great, I'm a Christian. If you see me on a full moon out in the woods doing a road opening ceremony, like, you know, with, like, paint on my face, um, then, yeah, I'm a witch. Um, If you think I'm a sociopath who's dragging people to hell on Twitter, one YouTube video at a time, and yeah, sure, I'm a sociopath. But while you are freaking out about that, I'm going to get these babies who are still thinking about killing themselves. <sighs> That's my pitch. That's a heavy one. Woo! That honestly, the one thing, a lot of things got me excited about your book. But mm. the one thing that got me super excited about your book yeah. is um, the line that you have uh, on, I think I saw it on your website, that said mm-hmm. something like, I'm telling my story because not everyone else has survived to tell their own. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yes, save those chitlins. Like, wrap them up, give them something to give them a comfort to say, listen, here's the story, here's what it is. Whether you believe in Jesus or you believe in something else or you just believe in the few words that you read in this book, like, great, have something to believe in. Yeah, that's really what I'm hoping for is like, I think it starts with like relearning how to ignite our imaginations again, Mm. because I think that, I mean, whiteness in general and evangelicalism demands that we sacrifice our creativity and sacrifice our imagination because uh, those two things are the antithesis of whiteness, you know? Um, and what I and what I mean by that is like whiteness as in uh, the the assimilation of all races into a single uniform identity, which then oppresses other people who don't fit into that identity. To get anthropological, um, I'm so glad that you clarified that because I think so many people hear whiteness and they automatically are like, "Well, I'm white." So yeah, yeah, this is not my fault. <laughs> yeah, this is not to say like all white people are horrible people. I'm just like, no, that's not true. Um, as someone who is mixed, like I have you know, family who is white and I have family who is Mexican. So uh, I'm talking about myself. Um, but if you need to go take a class on white privilege, I can I can uh, give you a few podcasts on that. Yeah, but this this book really, I was, as I was writing it, I realized I said, oh, the reason it took you so long to write this book is because you weren't settled in these ideas yourself. You weren't ready to declare them because you weren't ready to be, you know, I always have this fear. There's always like the fear of like, people are going to leave me and like, you know, I'm going to be alone after I say the thing. And that's true. It's like, I always wonder like, what is the thing that's going to push me like 
far enough beyond like the the shadow of the church that no one no one there's paying attention to me anymore because I'm too much of a sinner. Mm. Um, there's part of me that's really sad that that like eventually like can foresee that happening for a lot of my relationships. But then also people surprise me so much. It's like they actually like get this thing that Jesus said that like do the right thing. That's really what we care about. Yeah. So uh, go ahead. I was just going to say you mentioned like being pushed so far from the church and like being kind of like stuck in the shadow. But Mm -hmm. I think that there is such a big movement happening Mm -hmm. and such an awareness being brought to the topic of bad theology in general that I don't think that you'll ever be pushed outside of the church. I think you're just moving the walls. Like you're, Mm. you know what I mean? Like I think you'll still be in the church, but like it's just expanding in and of itself. Well, I hope so. Because, you know, there's a, the Richard Roars of the world will say, like, I want to be on the edge of the inside. And I'm like, I want to be on the edge of the inside, but I'm definitely on, like, the outside of the outside. <laughs> um, I'm like, I'm like, I'm on the edge of the outside. Like, I'm right outside the church doors. And I'm like, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that in our lifetime, we can see a huge move. And let me tell you what, um, I'm, <laughs> this is... <laughs> This is okay because Kevin Garcia can't ever stop. I'm already outlining my second book that I want to release at the end of the year. Yeah, oh. I'm and that one after this conversation. Fantastic. No title. Just take my money. Yeah, just uh, yeah, just like you know, just <laughs> PayPal me like 15 bucks. It'll be fine. Done. Great. Uh, low introductory rate, but I I have this hope. I don't know how it's going to happen, but like ever since I was like 16 years old, I've been obsessed with the word revival, and I say that in my southern accent, revival. Because you have to. Absolutely. And I really would like to see some, a spiritual revival in my lifetime. What I mean by that is not, you know, people coming back to the Lord, getting slain in the spirit and like all that shit. But like, you know, kind of what um, Reverend William Barber would say is like a a reawakening of the moral imagination. You know, one where like we use our resources to like wage peace instead of war where like, you know, we can, you know, abolish prisons, where we can make sure that everyone's got clean water, that babies are taken care of, that like, we fight for equity, not just equality. Mm. Um, yes. Because like all of these, like, you know, I was like, oh, that's not a spiritual thing. I'm just like, no, the spiritual is the physical, is the political, is the everything. If anything that the, the scriptures, uh, particularly the Bible has taught me is that it shows, it shows us again and again what empire does to us. And also shows us the way out. And that's captivating to me. And the more I study things like Starhawk's writing I, in my theology class, which I got um, I got a, a C in my theology class because I quoted Starhawk in my final paper. Dang. They were like, uh, uh, get this witch out of here. Just give him a C. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the final paper was in 81. I was proud of that. Oh, go for it. Um, but overall, like my just... I just kept like disagreeing. It's just like, you know, what do you think about uh, calling God creator? I'm just like, well, you know, according to Starhawk, you know, the world was born, not created. And I was like, uh, they were none too pleased because they just avoided the topic of discussion to talk about something I actually wanted to talk about. That's how you do it. Yeah. Grad school, you guys doing my mother proud. But yeah, I, um, I really would love to see, people start waking up. And that is like what I'm starting to do. Like I'm kind of like, I'm taking a page out of Marianne Williamson's book and Gabby Bernstein's 
practice of just like, I'm just going to start doing it. Like see who shows up, start talking about things that inspire me and like make me think and that are making me get closer to God and just see who shows up. Yeah. My, um, first episode of the season was, uh, with Colin Bedell, the astrologer from Queer Mm -hmm. Cosmos. And he basically ended his episode by saying like, start before you're ready, just get out there and do it. Like this is the year for people to create and show up and just like put things out there and see how they bounce back at you. So I, according to the stars, apparently it is the year for you to do that. Phenomenal. I am so here for that. Go for it. (laughs) I need to get my chart read. It's been a minute. I do want to ask you because I, um, just going back to the idea of like you expanding the church, I promise I had a reason for saying that to you. Oh yeah. I think that, um, I've, I mean, I've been watching, you are always doing a project. Like you've always got something going on. True. You're always talking somewhere, traveling somewhere, writing a book, releasing a something. I know that you have two other things that you do uh, outside of Bad Theology Kills the book. You also mm-hmm. have uh, Queerly Beloved Apparel and your newest thing, The Big Queer Adventure Co. Oh, yeah. And I immediately, in the very beginning of the show, when you were like, oh, yeah, I was RVing all the time. We were camping and doing all this. And I was like, oh, Big Queer Adventure Co. I get it. Like, it's mm-hmm. just in his blood. It's in his bones. Um, yeah. Can you tell me about, like, how, like, what kind of work you're doing with Big Queer Adventure Co.? Right. I am really excited. So uh, by the time this goes live, registration for the first, the sac- we're calling it sac- the Sacred and Queer Men's Retreat. So you, if you are a queer man in any sort of understanding of that, um, in any iteration, it's a, if you're a queer, trans, non-binary man type person and you feel comfortable with that, come on out. We're going to Denver. We're going to have two and a half days in a cabin together with a beautiful view of the mountains, just an hour outside of Denver. Really, really good food because I'm gonna, I don't skimp on food, A. Uh, B, um, we're going to be working with um, one of my friends, Trevor, um, who is from the area, and then also my friend Isaac Archuleta doing workshops on overcoming shame and desire and all that shit. Uh, I'll be talking about relearning your story and then just being outside in nature with one another, getting to breathe. There's nothing like it, baby. So that's the first thing. So I'm excited about that. But beyond that, Big Queer Adventure Co. Is, exists to create retreats and spaces of rest and respite where people can find their chosen family, where they can engage in intentional healing practices and also have fun. Because a lot of times, like, I don't think we count fun as like good medicine enough. Mm, Yeah. And I think sometimes like you, like we, we need to make memories. We need to like really like lean into it because like, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I think about this all the time. Like if I, if I have to die tomorrow, like I've had a great time, but like until then, like I'm going to try to have so much fun until until that day and that just really gets me excited i want people to rediscover their wildlife so that we're doing like one day retreats um we are doing a queer women's retreat a trans non-binary retreat hopefully the big queer adventure camp for adults if we get the funding for it and then you know i'm, I'm toying around with the idea of doing um, a queer clergy retreat possibly even like an interfaith summit dang sign me up keep me posted yeah. Yeah, I'm a. I'm just. I'm kind of like throwing it all against the wall and see, seeing what sticks. But like, I'm slowly making my way into like. The, the, oh my gosh! Can I tell you? I manifested one of my podcast guests recently. Finally, oh, yes. after three 
years. So um, it was Deray McKesson. Deray McKesson is an activist who lives in Baltimore, dreamy human. Um, and I asked him a billion years ago to be like a guest on my, one of my first uh, podcasts, my, my first episodes of my podcast. And he said he was in, but then he ghosted me, never got back to me. And then fast forward three years later and 10,000 followers later, I, I add him again. I say, everyone tag DeRay, tell him he has to be on my podcast. And then he's like, I'm in. And I'm like, <laughs> what I hear you saying is that you um, peer pressured him. Um, I would like to, <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, manifested you, I mean, it. Mm-hmm. it's one of those things where it's just like, you know, you call it, um, the important, some call it the, uh, what was her name in the Bible? The importunate widow who went on the judge's door and she's like, give me my justice. <laughs> and so it. I think about it the same way. Like, did you manifest it or did you just keep asking a lot until someone said yes? And I think that's what I've been doing. Is there just a difference been, between those two things? No, di- c- come on. That's the thing. It's just like you put it on there, you put the goals, and then you just keep asking because eventually someone might say yes. You just keep it on your manifest list and then you wait until you have 10,000 more followers and you ask again. Absolutely. And then peer pressure him via the internet and basically tell him, (laughs) if you don't do this, you hate trans people. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. True facts about religion, guys. If you um, just peer pressure enough followers, I'm just kidding. Absolutely. That's why I'm launching my own religion next week. So I hope to see you guys at the launch party in L.A., Tickets are only... I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am a member of the Church of Kevin Garcia. Oh, cute. Um, Dang. Uh, but yeah, that's that's Big Queer Venture Co. And I think also, I say all that other stuff to say this, is that I've been dreaming about doing shit like this for a few years now. And to see just the response of people who are just like, I am ready to do the work. I'm ready to come together for healing. I'm ready to like get past this shit and have fun while I do it. Like it's beautiful. And it just kind of falls right in line with what I've wanted to do my whole life. I love that you're doing that because I, while you were talking about it, I was just thinking like how many people have spent years upon years, decades, even of terrible, uncomfortable, no fun time in Mm -hmm. what they thought was the church. Mm -hmm. And here you are saying, I know you're rediscovering yourself. So let's also go back and have fun and be free and do the things that you should have been doing before. So I think it's kind of cool that you're inviting people into that. I don't want to say childlike space, but it's like, I think that things like what you're doing are healing Mm -hmm. to inner child on. No. And that is so much of the work that we need to do is like, we're so, and this is also work for myself that I'm doing is, um, you know, like we have all this shame around, because we feel so young, like our, our younger self is so wounded from all those years we spent like shaming them for desire. And so mm-hmm. now we've gotten to the point where like, Hey, it's, it's like, we're like, okay, it's okay to feel it's okay to want. It's okay to like be sexual. It's okay to like want to kiss a boy or like kiss a girl or like, you know, wear clothes that weren't designed for me, quote unquote. And it's, but then at the back of our mind, like our younger self still feels that little twinge of shame or maybe even a great deal of shame. And that shame, if we, um, Carl Jung says that if until you make the unconscious, the conscious, you will call it fate. And Ooh. so when I hear that, it's like, it's just like, if you don't start unpacking that shame that you are carrying, if you don't start addressing it, if you don't start getting your healing now, you're going to just continue to repeat the same patterns over and over and over again. Just continuous trauma responses, continuously getting into relationships that don't feel good for you continuously feeling like you're not measuring up, you know, that old feeling. Mm. So it's like, what would it be like for us to, you know, 
to intentionally take some time to stop, remove ourselves from our normal life where all of our normal scripts are running and really get with ourselves and with people who love us and support us to get that shit off our chest. Yeah. Throw it all in the back of an RV, take it out into the woods and unpack it. Absolutely. I also have this idea about doing like a big queer road trip, you know, like sign me up across Arizona or some shit. We like, we'll camp out. Oh, that sounds like fun. Today I have learned that I'm going to have to end the podcast early because all of my funding is going to go directly to big queer adventure co-trips. Thank you so much. And uh, (laughs) oh my goodness. So before I let you go, um, tell the listeners, if you had to pick like Mm. the number one biggest, best, brightest chunk of advice that has ever been handed to you or you feel like you need to give to the world, what would that Mm. be? Um, Keep breathing. And I want, can I tell the story behind that? Yes, absolutely. Um, So I have a tattoo on my thighs right above my knees and it says, keep breathing and it's facing me so that when I'm in like a downward dog in yoga, I can see it. And the reason I got it there is when I learned that my father was going into hospice care, I decided that was the day to start my yoga practice again, because why not? So I go to this yoga practice. It's a hot yoga and it was so sweaty and so good. And like, I really like felt so good in there. And then as we're like lying in Shavasana, I finally am able to cry for the first time in months. And I'm crying because my partner and I were on the rocks. I'm crying because uh, my father's dying. I'm crying because I don't know how I'm going to pay bills. Like I'm really, really at the bottom of the barrel at this point. And this woman next to me, uh, after we're done, we all, you know, namaste, get out of here. Um, she touches me on my shoulder and she says, hey, are you, you okay? And I'm like, not really. And she says, it's okay to not be okay. Just keep breathing. And it hit me, like, in my Shondo. Like, <laughs> it was like, this is the most incredible piece of advice I've ever been given. Keep breathing for everything. Because so oftentimes, like, fear wants to steal our breath, and it causes us to tense up. And what's the thing to do in yoga and in, in, yoga and in life? Like, don't try to tense up the muscle. Release it. Mm-hmm. Like, release deeper into the pose. Release deeper into the stretch. And so the same thing with all of these things that come against us is like, if you just don't keep breathing, take a deep breath. And at any moment you can do that. At any moment you can choose to redirect your energy back to your body, back to your center to say, you're already home. And the more I remember that, the happier I am. And the happier I am, the easier my life is, honestly. And, you know, who wants to struggle more than you have to? So keep breathing. That's my advice. It's so good. That's the best. So simple. So, Mm -hmm. like, you would think that it's something that everybody just knows to do, but... Oh, my gosh. My therapist always tells me, she's like, can you take a deep breath for me? And I realize that I literally have been sitting there not breathing for an extended period of time. Didn't Mm -hmm. even realize it. So whenever I feel my like center getting tight, I take a deep breath and I sigh out and people think that I'm upset. I'm like, oh no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just getting anxiety out of my body. Don't worry. Yeah. Just getting it out. Just getting out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, <laughs> I honestly, when you exhaled a second ago, I was like, oh, that feels so good. Hold on. Oh, Let me just breathe real heavy. Um, I'm telling you, like anytime like I, I work with people, I'm just like, hey, let's just, let's just breathe together real quick. 
That's good magic right there. Oof. That's the first thing I do every Monday morning on Instagram when I go live. I say, all right, let's just settle into our Monday, take a nice deep breath. Mm-hmm. And honestly, sometimes I feel like everybody on the other side is exhaling on me. And I'm like, oh, I need to take another. That's a lot yeah. of stuff. Let me just exhale back at you for a second. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So here's also like a weird thing. Because like, I think there is something about like being an internet person and still working and doing this kind of stuff. The energy is so real. And even on the other side of that, like, uh, I did a live stream on YouTube one time and it was an open stream. I got some people who got on there and were just hateful as fuck. I couldn't figure out how to block them. And then they doxed me and started posting like my information. So I felt like super unsafe. And I was like, wow, I really feel like there was like some weird malicious intent behind these people. Like they wanted to scare me mm-hmm. and they did. And I'm like, that is an energy like I've not felt in a long time. And I'm just like, I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> so yeah. the internet's just a real like, place, it, y'all. The internet's a real place and the internet is a real space. Like our brains cannot tell the difference between digital spaces and physical spaces ever, which is why the trauma you experience on social media is real trauma. Because your your brain can't tell the difference. And so your brain tells your body you're in danger. So of course you're going to like have like more stress because you're on social media. Because like it's shit show out there, we're being assaulted all the time. As <laughs> we giggle about it, like, oh yeah, it's fine. Lol, um, lol. As I go get on Twitter to tell everyone, hey, you should tune into Let's Be Omnist. Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So, any other last tidbits, fun facts, um, things tidbits. that you need to share? Like it's on your heart. Nothing on my heart. Make sure, like, make sure you're eating something, drink water, and make sure you're registered to vote. Take your meds. Take your meds. I was um, waiting for it. I said, eat something, drink your water. And I was like... Yeah, it's you take your meds, call your therapist, uh, move your body, eat something delicious. Take a nap. My God, I live for a nap. If, um, <laughs> if anybody wants to get to know you, see your work, buy your book, become your new best friend, what's the best way to do so? Uh, you can connect with me at thekevingarcia.com. That's T-H-E, Kevin Garcia. And I'm the Kevin Garcia across social media. The book is Bad Theology Kills. You can pre-order it now on my website, as well as find out about all the retreats with Big Queer Adventure Co. All that shit's on the website. Yes. And I love you. And I'm so glad we got to do this. You're so fun. You're so fun. I don't know why we don't like actually have phone conversations more often. It's because <sighs> the internet's a real place and we get caught up in social media. Yeah. Get off social media, listen to more get podcasts, it. call your friend. Call, your, call mom. your friend, call your mom, um, you know, make sure that you water your plants um, because they might die if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Just general, note, life advice, <laughs> general life advice, you know, that's the gold nugget from the episode. Uh, that's perfect. That's actually going to be your intro <laughs> title. I was just going to water God. your plants, done. Intro music. Perfect. Uh, all right. Well, thank you again so much for being here. It's been a blast and I will talk to you soon. Au revoir. Alright, alright, that was my conversation with Kevin Garcia. I had such an amazing time chatting with Kevin, and I am just so thankful for the laughter that they bring to every single conversation. I truly appreciate you spending time with me today. Be sure that you check out Kevin's work over on their website. The website is thekevingarcia.com. If you head to thekevingarcia.com backslash book, you can also grab yourself a copy of their new book, Bad Theology Kills. It is available now. While you're out there adventuring the internet, make sure that you take the time to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. 
you can find me at The Diviner Life. If you love the show, be sure that you subscribe wherever you listen from so that you can be notified of new episodes. For example, next week, you can tune in for a special Valentine's Day episode with Valeria Ruelez, a.k.a. The Mexican Witch. She's going to be talking about the life of a bruja and her new book, Cosmopolitan Love Potions. Thanks for listening. Remember to share with your pastor, your camping buddies, your queer family, or whoever else you may come in contact with today. Don't forget, most importantly, I love you. I appreciate you. And until next time, be true, be you, be omnist. <laughs>